Good morning, everyone. Thank you. I loved worshiping with you today. It's just awesome to hear all your voices singing out to the Lord. If we've never met, like Eric said, my name is Tony Boscarino, and I'm the one of the pastors here. Anthony, whom you would normally hear speaking to you, is on vacation with his family. So that gave me this opportunity to share with you as we continue our series called Tethered from the book of Mark. Now, before Anthony left, we were sitting in his office talking about the passages that I'd be preaching on while he was gone. And he looked at June 5th, which is today, and he began to laugh and said, dude, you're preaching on demons again, which is pretty funny because I've only preached four times in this series. And we've been in this series for six months. And three of those four times, including today, I get to talk about demons. Now, if that wasn't interesting enough, I also get to touch on motherhood a little bit today. And we look at one of the oddest passages in all of the Gospels. It's odd because it really seems like Jesus is, at least on the surface, being incredibly rude to this woman who is heartbroken. It looks like he ignores her and he even calls her a dog. That's what we're looking at today. So, Anthony, if you're watching, thank you very much. Appreciate that. But in reality, I'm actually so excited to share with you because I love diving into the Bible. I love looking at the history, researching the passage to pull out God's heart. And as I did that this past week, I was really challenged by two things. One, I saw Jesus' heart for all people, and I also was really challenged in my own faith. And so that's my heart for all of you this morning. But before we really dive in, uh, would you just pray? We'll ask the Holy Spirit to move. So Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the truth that speaks to our heart about who you are and who we are in you. Father, I pray that every single person in this room, their hearts are softened to you and what you want to do. And, and um, God, I know that if it's just me talking, nothing's really going to happen here. So just ask that you, through the power of your spirit, would use me to speak your truth clearly and that all of our hearts in this room would be hit by it. Lord, we want to glorify you with our understanding of your word and then the heart-level transformation to live it out. So help us to do that today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. So you can start moving to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24. And before we get there, I want to give you a little context for what we are stepping into. Jesus has just ended a pretty heated conversation with the religious leaders of the day. And he was explaining to them what it means to be clean and unclean. Now, the religious leaders, they thought to be clean meant to follow all these rules, to hold the traditions of the elders, and to make sure that I didn't eat or touch any unclean animal. That's what they thought it meant to be clean. But Jesus tells them that's not what it's about. To be clean is about your heart. What makes you unclean is what comes out of your heart. Now, what's interesting about that is Jesus has just had this conversation about what is clean and unclean, and today he is going to take his disciples into an area that is filled with unclean people. So he just had that conversation. Now they're going in to speak with unclean people, and that's really important for us to understand what's happening today. So Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and from there... He arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So you can see where Jesus was in the world. Check out this map. 
Here you can see that the green area is the Jewish region where the Jewish people were living. But what you can see is Jesus actually here, he leaves that region and he heads up. You can see those two cities there, Tyre and Sidon. So he leaves the, the Jewish area and it's kind of the only place in the Gospels where we see Jesus traveling abroad and he goes to Tyre and Sidon. So you can see that those two cities are on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, which would be modern day Lebanon. So that is where Jesus is walking. And if our map went a little bit further north, you would see where modern-day Beirut, Lebanon is because it's just a little bit north of Sidon. So that's the part of the world where Jesus is. So uh, he takes his disciples. They travel 40 or so miles to this area, and he leaves behind Israel, and he steps into Gentile territory. Now, Gentiles were people, they weren't Jewish. They didn't follow the Jewish laws or the Jewish customs and they did not worship the Lord. And it seems that he went away to this region to rest and get alone with his disciples because things were crazy in Israel. Everyone was talking about Jesus everywhere that they went, and wouldn't you? If you were healed of a disease by Jesus or you saw Jesus heal your neighbor or your sister or your mom, you would be talking about it to everyone that you saw, right? And that's what's happening in Israel at this time. So Jesus takes this trip. He's going to get alone with his disciples. He's looking for rest. He enters into a house, and he's hoping that no one knows about it, right? But that is not what happens. So look at verse 25. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So let's talk about this woman for a minute. It says she was a Syrophoenician. What that really means is that there was a Roman province of, of, uh, called Syria at this point, and there was a certain area called Phoenicia. So that's where she's from. But what's really important about what Mark says is that she was a Gentile. And now we've already mentioned that Gentiles, you know, they don't, they don't worship the Lord. They don't follow the customs. But what we also need to realize is that Jews at this day looked at Gentiles as like dirty, filthy pagans. That's the opinion that they had of them. And if you remember, uh, two weeks ago from earlier in Mark chapter 7, it talked about how the Pharisees, when they came back from the marketplace, they would make sure to wash, right? And I was doing some research on that. And really, a lot of the commentators were talking about how the Pharisees, they wanted to make sure that they washed after they were in the marketplace to really like rid themselves from any moral filth that they would have picked up from the Gentiles in the marketplace. The way that the Jews looked at the Gentiles was just like, these people are dirty and disgusting, and when I'm with them, I feel like I need to take a shower. That is the opinion that the Jews had of the Gentiles. And so here's this woman, a Gentile. She knows the customs of the day. She knew what the Jews thought of her. And socially, she also knew that it was unacceptable for her, a Gentile woman, to rush up to a Jewish rabbi, which is what Jesus was. But she does not care. She doesn't care. She had heard of Jesus. Remember, her area is not too far away from where the Jewish inhabited lands were. So she'd heard of Jesus. News was spreading everywhere. And she realizes that she is going to take her one shot to go to the one man that can set her daughter free of a demon. This is what she has in her mind. 
And now talking about demons, I've talked about this a few times in this series already, but the reality is we live in a spiritual world. You know, in our modern Western mindset, we, we think that there's got to be a natural cause for everything that comes up. But according to scripture, we also live in a spiritual world. And so it's not just always a natural consequence. It could also be a spiritual one because the Bible talks about how we are in a spiritual battle. Just to emphasize this, Ephesians 6, 12, it says this, and we'll have it on the screen. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so although we may not see blatant demonic activity here in 2022 in Nebraska, this is still common in other parts of the world. And I've actually witnessed this myself in 2009 when I was in Tanzania, Africa. And also our missionaries in India and the Dominican Republic, they actually still see this and experience this as a normal occurrence. So what we see here is that the power of the enemy is at work within this little girl's life. So this woman, her mom, she runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and begs him to cast out the demon. Now what's interesting about the word begs there, in Greek, it's not just like a one or two time idea. It's really a continual, passionate, crying out, pleading over and over again that Jesus would heal her daughter. So just picture this woman in your mind. She is broken over her daughter. She is literally laying down at the feet of Jesus, and she is pleading for the life of her daughter. That's what's going on here. Now, this story is also in the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to jump back and forth a couple times because Matthew's account actually gives some other interesting details. So if you can put your finger in Mark 7 and flip over to Matthew 15, we'll see how Matthew also describes this scene. So Matthew chapter 15, it's verse 20, 23, it says, But he, which is Jesus, she's been asking him, he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So I want to read this because he gives a more of a clear picture of what's happening. That this woman is making such a huge disturbance that the disciples, they, be, they get annoyed that this dirty Gentile woman who should never expect that she's going to receive anything from Jesus is just crying out and she won't stop. And so now they go to Jesus and they are begging him, get rid of this lady, get rid of her. Do you see everything that she is facing? Like think about all that's going against this woman right now. She is an unclean Gentile. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. She's a woman in a first century man's world, which is a lot. If you noticed in Matthew's account, um, when she's pleading with him, Jesus doesn't even respond right away. So now like, it's almost like Jesus is ignoring her. And the, the, the guys that are with Jesus, they're saying, get her out of here. Get this nasty woman out of here. That is the scene that's going on. But she persists in begging Jesus. She persists in begging Jesus. She has what a lot of people would call a mama bear mentality. She's mama bear here. 
She believed that Jesus was the only one that could heal her daughter, and she wasn't going to let anything keep her from getting to him. She was going to be heard by Jesus no matter what. And I love what J.C. Ryle is a biblical theologian. What he writes in his commentary on Mark, he's speaking of this woman's little daughter, and he writes this. Hopeless and desperate as her case appeared, she had a praying mother. And where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. I really like that. There is always hope. And I think back to all the prayers that my mom has prayed for me over the years and continues to pray for me now. She texted me yesterday and said, hey, I'm praying for your message. And I know that God has used the prayers of my mom and my dad to work in my life, and he continues to do that. So if you are a parent with children in this room, I encourage you to follow this woman's example and pray for your kids. Bring their needs before Jesus. So let's see what happens. Flip back to the book of Mark. Mark 7, verse 27. This is where Jesus starts responding. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is where this gets a little more interesting. So did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. On the surface, this seems rude and harsh and at the very least incredibly unkind to this woman who is in bitter turmoil over her daughter. It's not the picture that we usually think of when we think of our gracious, loving Savior Jesus, is it? Right? It's not. So let's dive in and see what is actually happening here. The question becomes, what is he really saying? Well, there's two things that we need to realize. The first is that typically Jews did refer to the Gentiles as dogs. That was a normal thing. But what's interesting about the word that Jesus uses here is he doesn't use the main word for dog. He actually uses a diminutive form, which means like little dogs. And some of your versions may even say little dogs. What Jesus is getting at here is it's more like a, a puppy, kind of like a term of endearment. It doesn't carry with it this connotation of a mangy, dirty, ravenous animal like the Jews typically would have used. But Jesus' word is more like a family pet. And as I was really diving into this, I, I read what Warren Wearsby, another biblical theologian, he explains it like this. He says, Jesus was not calling the Gentiles dirty scavenger dogs, as did many of the proud Jews. He was giving her hope. And I think that's so interesting for us because we are 2022, so far removed from the context. And so we need to actually go into their context and see what she would have heard. And she would have heard that there's hope, there's loving kindness through what Jesus is saying. So that's one thing. But there's another thing that we need to realize in what Jesus is saying to this woman. He is speaking in a parable. And I mean, if you look back, you know, she's begging, please heal my daughter, please heal my daughter. And then he says, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Seems like a very odd response in that moment. So he is speaking a parable. And in the Gospels, he often will use parables to explain a deeper truth through a relatable story, which is what a parable is. And that's what he's doing here. So what is he getting at? I want to explain it like this. How many of you guys have a pet dog? 
Who's got, who's got a pet dog in their house? Okay, lots of people have a dog. My hand is in the air. It should definitely not be because I have never owned a dog due to all these allergies that I've had my entire life. But the best dog I have ever been around was Romeo right there. This is Romeo. This is my wife's family's dog, and he was great. Like, he, he's, he's a mutt, but he never really seemed to impact my allergies like all these other dogs I've been around. I did better with him than even those hyperallergenic dogs that are supposed to be great. And so in my mind, maybe the Lord has his hand upon this dog in a unique way. Like you could tell, just by looking at him, he's got a wise and a kind soul, right? You guys can see that, right? <clears throat> now, since I didn't really grow up with a dog, I wasn't used to the whole idea of dogs asking for food during the meal. And I, I wasn't ready for those big, you know, hopeful eyes just looking at me, hoping for whatever was on my plate. I wasn't ready for that. And so at the end of the meal, you know, I kind of gave him a few things to eat um, and fed him. Now, Romeo, he never sat at the table with us, and he wasn't given food first. Uh, the adults and the kids always sat at the table, and Romeo, he usually got a few portions from some kind-hearted family members after the meal. But there was an order to who ate first. And this is essentially what Jesus is saying to this woman. He wasn't really so much speaking about her value, but he was trying to teach her that there's an order to how things are supposed to go. Now, as I was preparing for the message today, I listened to a few different messages from different pastors who preached on this passage, and I really liked this pastor. His name is Britton Taylor from the McLean Bible Church, but he explained it like this. He says, The parable is not to make a value determination of this woman. It's not looking at the woman and saying that she's less valuable because of her gender or her ethnicity. What Jesus is doing is making a theological declaration that the blessing of God that will reverse the curse of sin will come from and through the line of Abraham. So what this means is that there was an order in God's redemptive plan, and it started with salvation being announced to the Jews. The Apostle Paul also brings up this idea in Romans 1.16. We can put that up there too. It just says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. And check out this part. Everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There was an order in how things would be announced. <clears throat> and so Jesus, um, he makes this really clear if you go back to Matthew 15. So if you go back to Matthew 15 and look at verse 24. He answered and said, I was only, or I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, Jesus' earthly ministry was focused on the Jews first. That's why this is like the only time in the Gospels where he actually goes abroad out of the Jewish region. His ministry was to the Jews first. And what we need to understand is like I talked about last week, that God chose this one tribe, Israel, out of all the tribes of the earth to be his own special possession for him. That through them, he would be um, seen and known. And so, 
it is to the Jews that the gospel would first be preached, that his salvation would first come to the Jews and then through them to the rest of the world. So what we have here in this conversation with Jesus and this woman is that he's explaining that the time for the Gentiles had not yet come. The priority of bread, which is the blessing of God, is for the children, meaning the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And the time for the family pet, you know, this lovable family pet, the Gentiles, would come later. So flip back to Mark 7, verse 28. Let's see how she responds. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She has an interesting response here. She gets it. Like, she's not, she's not mad. She isn't upset. She's not fighting, like, how could you call me a dog? She's not doing any of that. She recognizes that she is in no way worthy to have Jesus pour out his mercy and grace upon her life and to heal her daughter. So she takes this very humble posture before the Lord. But yet, she also does something else. She points to the fact that the family pets, they still get fed, Jesus. And it's interesting because she uses Jesus' picture to make a case for herself. And when I really started diving into this passage, more and more, I began to see the beauty in the conversation between Jesus and this woman. I don't think he was condemning her at all. I think like Warren Wiersbe said, he was giving her hope. It was more like a, a term of endearment. And then I love how she essentially is speaking to Jesus's heart when she responds. And what she's saying is, I know that I do not deserve to be at the table. I know that I don't deserve in any way to be there. But all I want is just a crumb. I just want a crumb of your goodness. That's all I need. That is enough for me. If I could just get a crumb of your goodness, that will be more than enough for me. And look how Jesus responds to her in verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. <clears throat> Before we wrap this up, I want to go back to Matthew to just, just see how he closes out this section. So again, flip back to Matthew 15, verse 28. I love what he says here. Then Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What we need to see here is that Jesus' heart is moved by this woman's faith. Even though he was there for the Jews first, his love for the world is on display in this moment as he is moved to extend grace to this Gentile woman. This Gentile woman who in no way deserved grace, right? His heart is moved to give her grace. And as we see in Matthew, he actually commends her for her faith. He is pointing to her faith as an example to his disciples. Remember, they wanted to get rid of her. And he actually points to her faith to say, this is, this is the faith that I desire. And not only to his disciples, but also to us you know, 2,000 years later to say, look at this woman. Look at this woman's faith. This is the faith that I desire. And so as I close today, I just want to specifically point out a few aspects of this woman's faith that can challenge us in our own walks with the Lord. And the first is this. 
recognize Jesus as Lord. Back in Mark, you know, 7, 28, she says, yes, Lord. She makes this declaration, yes, Lord. She acknowledges that Jesus is over all things, that Jesus has all authority over all of the spiritual realm, over herself, over her daughter. She recognizes and fully believes that he can heal her daughter. So the question for us is, when we come before Jesus in prayer or come before Jesus in worship, are we looking at him that he is the Lord over all things, that he is all authority, all power over us and everyone else? Colossians talks about how Jesus holds everything together. He's the sustainer of life. That is the Lord. And we are just coming before him and bowing before him. Is that the mentality that you have had towards Jesus recently in your walk with him? And if not, look to this woman's example. Number two, humbly accept your place. What I mean there is this woman, she knew that she had no reason to receive anything from the Lord based on herself. She had no reason to do that. She was a Gentile, a pagan. She wasn't a Jew. She was sinful. She didn't try to fight for herself or make herself seem better than she was. She realized that she had absolutely nothing to offer Jesus and just came before him on the basis of his mercy for her. And she literally falls down at Jesus' feet and takes the most humbling posture anyone ever could. So then for us, do we see ourselves like that? Do we see ourselves like that before Jesus? You know, are we trying to bargain like, Jesus, do this for me because of all this good stuff I've done for you? Are we like the Pharisees that are just so proud and hard-hearted, just demanding and coming in? Or are we like this woman, just being broken before God, before Jesus, recognizing who he is? And this woman, again, she falls on her face in prayer. When was the last time that you actually did that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever got alone in your bedroom by yourself, got on your knees before the Lord, even just laid out on your face before God and just prayed in utter desperation because you realize he is so much greater and bigger than you are? I have done that, but not recently, and I'm challenged by this message to go and do that. And if you've never done it, it's awkward. Like if you're laying on the ground and you're praying, it feels super weird, which is the point, right? Because you realize that God is so great. God is so powerful. He's so awesome. And we are just like nothing compared to him. Our value comes from the fact that this awesome God loves us. You know, that's, that's what it is. So are you in that place? Jesus is looking for humble hearts of faith. The only thing this woman had was just, a humble heart of faith, and that's all she offered. Are we doing that? Number three, persevere in prayer. Think back again to all this woman had to push through to get before Jesus. She was a woman in a male-dominated society. She was a dirty Gentile coming before a Jewish rabbi, which was culturally unacceptable. Even when she goes to Jesus, he seems to ignore her, and then it's like he's saying, well, the time is not right. And on top of that, the whole time the disciples are saying, get this lady out of there. But she persisted in all of that. She kept going. She pushed through, asking Jesus to do what only he could do. So let me ask you, is there anything that you used to pray for that you have given up praying for? 
Is there anything that you used to pray for that you've given up praying for? Maybe it's too hard or it's been too long or you think it's never going to happen. What is that? Um, maybe you stopped praying for you know, direction in your life and you're just like, I'm not ever going to hear anything. Maybe you just live with this broken heart, so much pain, and you've prayed, and God, you feel like he hasn't shown up. Maybe you're caught in some sin that just really impacts your own life and impacts those that are around you. Or maybe it's someone that you've been praying for for years to come to know Christ, to know that Jesus died for them, rose again, that they could have new life. Have you stopped praying for anything? I would encourage you to take this woman example and choose again to persevere in prayer, asking him to do what only he can do. And the last thing is just take Jesus at his word. Jesus tells this woman that the demon has left and she just gets up and goes home. What she doesn't do is she doesn't say, Jesus, are you, is it real, did it really happen? <laughs> she, doesn't say, she doesn't say that. She doesn't say, okay, Jesus, like, um, why don't you just come back with me to my house? We'll just make sure this happened. She doesn't say that. She doesn't say, Jesus, you know what? Actually, I think it's great that you said it, but if I could actually see you put your hands on my daughter, that would actually probably be better for me. She doesn't do any of those things. She takes him at his word and she goes home believing that what Jesus said is true. Are you holding on to the promises in God's word for you believing that he has totally forgiven you, believing that he'll be faithful to you, that he'll provide for you, that he has a plan for your life. Are you taking him at his word? Because sometimes I feel like we think, man, if Jesus was just like in the flesh right here, things would be so good, like it would be way better. But the reality is blessed are those who haven't seen, but yet still believe and trust. Do we take Jesus at his word, what the Bible says? Do we believe it as true and then go live it out? That's the challenge for all of us today. And I want to just say one thing. Maybe, maybe your issue is that I don't see God as good. I don't see him as loving and faithful, which is kind of, if you look at face value, that's what you'd see from the passage today. But that's not the truth. And if one thing for you is like, God, how I, I struggle to believe that you're good. I struggle to believe that you're with me. Go back to his word, pray, surrender, let his truth take root within your heart and that you would start seeing actually the goodness of who he is. So church, this week, let's just follow this woman's example. Let's follow this woman's example from scripture because we are all like her. We're all like her. Imperfect, broken people with really nothing to offer Jesus often stuck in situations dealing with issues that are far beyond our control. Let's do what she did. Come to Jesus, recognize his lordship, humble ourselves before him, continue to ask in prayer, and then trust that he is faithful and trust his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, you are all-powerful, you are good, you are holy, and yet, you still extend your grace and love to us when we come before you. You extend your grace and love to us, not based on how good we've done, but based solely on your mercy. And I just pray for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that we really would seek you this week. That we would dive into your word. That we allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us about who you are. And that we would depend on you. God, we've been given this awesome gift in your spirit. 
I just pray that Riverview as a church, that we would learn to walk with you, allowing you to teach us from your word, pressing in, that we can know you. God, um, we just love you. We thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.